This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, praise the Lord. You know, it's uh, that last song speaking about going home to be with the Lord. It's really for Jan, wasn't it? So appropriate, you know, and the Lord knows these things and out well before the service. And then that other one about we have an anchor that grips the soul. How about that last part where it goes grounded, firm, and deep in the Savior's love? You can just see an anchor there gripping the rocks below, and that's the anchor that we have for the soul. Praise the Lord. It speaks about the anchor that goes within the veil. It reminds us of the tabernacle next door within the veil. That's the anchor, but it's grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can say, not just sing, but we can say, and it's true, we have an anchor. We have an anchor, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're on the other end of that anchor and you're holding us tight. And so that in the hour of trial, our anchor will hold. Now, Lord, as we look into your word, we see Moses here. We pray you, Lord, speak through. Speak through the pages of scripture, Lord. Give us, Lord, the insight to see beyond the pages to see you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Please turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. Exodus 3, verse 9. There's a great passage here with an astounding, challenging call that God made to Moses in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Exodus 3, verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. 
When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and you shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice with the Lord our God. And I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that, he will let you go. Wow, what a passage. What a passage this is. Now, we pick up, this is really kind of the middle of the account here of the history. This is what we need to remember here is that Israel, the children of Israel, the Jewish people have spent all of 400 years in Egypt. That's a long time. That was a long time because that was also the time when God caused this little group of people, the Jewish people, to grow from just a little more than 70 people up to 3 million people. They flourished in Israel. The Jewish people have continued to grow even after that, and they reached their highest numbers before Hitler and the Nazi disaster when they were 18 million. Then the Hitler and the Nazi disaster killed six million so that they, by the end of World War II, the Jewish people had dropped down in numbers to 12 million, and then slowly since then they've built up to, nobody knows the exact number, especially outside of Israel, but somewhere around 14 million. Well, this new pharaoh now has come onto the scene here, and he's decided, along with many others, to destroy the Jewish people, to kill them and he's come up with a systematic extermination that involves killing all the male babies and furthermore, of just making their lives miserable so that the beautiful Jewish women would marry off into the Egyptians and they'd be gone. And Moses was actually one of those babies slated to be killed, but his mother saw something special. She saw something about Moses, and so by faith, she hid Moses for three months until it was just impossible for her to hide him anymore. And then by faith, she went down to the river's edge and collected those bulrushes 
that grow on the edge of the Nile, and she put together an ark and then covered it with tar and, and so forth and made it waterproof, and you can also believe that she covered it with her tears as well, and by faith then, she took that little ark and the baby Moses and put it into the Nile, and the miracle was God saved Moses. God saved Moses from the Nile, the Nile there by causing Pharaoh's daughter to see the baby, take it up, have compassion on the baby, and she draws it out of the water, and she gives to this man, this little baby boy, an Egyptian name, not a Jewish name, not a Hebrew name. She calls him Moshe Moses, which in Egyptian language, not Hebrew, but in Egyptian language means drawn out of the water. And so she adopts him, and he becomes an Egyptian. He becomes an Egyptian, and he's in line to take the throne of Egypt. But Moses always knew that he was Jewish, and when he saw an Egyptian one time beating a Jewish man, then he kills the Egyptian, and then from that, he becomes a marked man, a marked man to be killed himself because he killed the Egyptian. So he's 40 years old, and this happens, and he runs out as a fugitive out of Egypt, and he ends up in what is now the southwest lower corner of Saudi Arabia there in a no man's land. He now becomes an Arab shepherd. That's Moses, the Arab shepherd, and he stays that way for 40 years, and he's gone from being a Jew to being an Egyptian to now being an Arab, but all the time, God has had his eye on the Jewish people as God always has his eye on the Jewish people down through history. And so the Jewish people, they cry unto the Lord because of all the misery that the Egyptians have put them through. And so he hears it, God hears it, he goes to rescue them. And this is God's motivation for where we're coming to now, for sending Moses. This is what it is all about, his whole motivation for sending Moses. Moses was a kind of Messiah because the word Messiah means anointed, which was what was done to those who were sent. And so Moses now from Saudi Arabia is now gonna be sent from a faraway place. He's now gonna be sent into, to rescue the Jewish people. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He comes from a faraway place and he's sent to, to rescue us, he's God's son, he's the Messiah, to save man from the horrors of hell that he deserves. So God knows, God hears the cries of the Jewish people, their misery down there. He hears their cries and he sends. He hears their cries and he rescues, see? And that's what God does. God knows the horrors of hell. And he doesn't want anybody to perish in hell, he doesn't. And so he said that in 2 Peter 3, 9, when he says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to be cast into hell. And it was the cries of the Jewish people in their misery in Egypt that motivated God to send Moses to the rescue. And in the same way, by extension, it's the cries of the souls in hell that motivate God to make the way, the rescue way of the gospel so that man can be forgiven and, and justified and no more souls would be cast into hell. And lost souls are crying tonight in their torment in hell. Why? Because of Luke 16, 23 tells us. Luke 16, 23 explains about a person who it says that in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments 
And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. And the souls in hell tonight are crying because of worms, because of fires, it says in Mark 9.45. Mark 9.45, where it speaks about those who are cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. See, there's an emphasis there. The, the fire doesn't go out. And in hell, souls are, are crying tonight because of anguish, because of frustration, as it says in Matthew 8.12, Matthew 8.12, being cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Think about it, grinding down teeth out of anxiety. And souls tonight are crying in hell because of shame. Just shame, they're so ashamed, as it says in Daniel 12.2. Daniel 12.2, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and to everlasting contempt. So God hears the cries, and the next thing he does, he sends Moses, just like we should hear, the, think about the misery of those in hell and do everything we can do to stop the next one from being cast into hell, and this is what God's doing here. That's why God says to Moses in verse 10, come now, therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So, Moses now, at this point in his life, he's 80 years old, right? Roger, you went to a birthday party, 80 year old, okay? He's 80 years old. Moses is born a Jew, he's become an Egyptian, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now he's become an Arab shepherd with an Arab wife and Arab children. And all of a sudden, God enters his life and he says, I'm sending you on a rescue mission. And Moses is sitting there thinking, you know, I left Egypt a long time ago. You know, I had some pretty nice clothes, clothes of royalty when I ran out. That was 40 years ago. Those clothes have worn out. They're long faded, you know. And now, look at me. I look like an Arab shepherd. And God's calling me to go and to have a standoff against Pharaoh and to bring Israel out of Egypt. I mean, this was just too much. It was just too much for Moses. Moses then, he says, I gotta come up with excuses. I, I gotta come up with reasons that I can just say, Lord, you need to pass me by and go get the next one. Just leave me alone on this forgotten mountain here that's down there in Saudi Arabia. I mean, Moses had his heyday. I mean, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was destined to become the ruler in Egypt. But those days were over. They're gone. And as a matter of fact, when Moses was in the palace, God never could have called him. Because why? Moses thought at that time that he was really something. And God cannot use a man who thinks that he's really something. God cannot use a man who is proud. So God, this was a process with Moses. God had to strip him down to nothing before he could use him, and that's what God does in our lives. Exactly the same thing. He strips us down to nothing like we did with Moses, and then God says, okay, now I can use you. So the first thing that Moses hears in this call that he gets from God is that I wanna send you to Pharaoh. Now that's terrifying. I mean, because the previous Pharaoh had marked Moses to kill him. He tried to kill him. And Moses has gone to great lengths in his life now to hide his identity. 
He doesn't want to be known as Moses, the former son of Pharaoh's daughter destined to become the ruler. He doesn't want that. So he's been a fugitive for 40 years, and now he hears God say to him, Moses, I want you to openly march right back into Egypt, identify yourself, march right in front of Pharaoh, just like that. <laughs> and the verse said, verse, that's how verse 10 hits him. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. That's terrifying. There's the second part. God goes on and says, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel. That's another problem. I mean, you know, Moses sitting there saying, you know, Pharaoh and the Jews, I'm not sure which one is the worst problem that I have to go face up against. Because Moses here, God's referred to Israel. He says, Moses hears God call Israel, my people, the children of Israel. And Moses is thinking to himself, your people? I thought you forgot about your people. Nobody's heard from you for 400 years. Israel's been slaves. I thought God totally forgot about Israel. And that's how easy it is for us to look at the Jewish people today and to say the same thing. Is that I thought God forgot about Israel. Israel, yeah, we can read in the Bible and we can get all kinds of romantic feelings about the Jewish people, but when we go to them, we see they're far from God. They're very far from God. This is God's people. They want to make Tel Aviv the gay center of the world. They want to make the Sodom and Gomorrah capital there in Tel Aviv of the world. Jewish people, one-third of them were killed, destroyed by the Nazis. It just looks like God's forgotten about the Jewish people. And so Moses then looks for an excuse, and his excuse is, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt in verse 11. And it's interesting because in verse 11, when Moses said that, he says, he said, I should go into Pharaoh, I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. He repeated every word that God said, but one deletion, one little important deletion. He repeats what God said to him by bringing out Israel out of Egypt, but there's one little detail that Moses did not repeat, and you know what that was? He didn't call them your people. He didn't say thy people. He didn't say your people. You know, God called Israel my people, the children of Israel, but Moses just said the children of Israel. He, he, he didn't say my people. Instead, he just calls them that. And not your, your people, the children of Israel. Why did he do that? Why did he not repeat that part about your people? Well, it's because it was hard for Moses. Moses didn't see Israel as God's people, like I've been saying. Moses thought, if the Jewish people are God's people, then why have they sunk so far away from God? And he thought, if the Jewish people are God's people, then why has there been this systematic, this effort to systematically exterminate them by the Egyptians? And for those reasons, Moses just couldn't bring himself to call Israel God's people. And the same is true for us today. You know, you go down to the malls, you go talk to the Israelis, and you'll find out quickly the fact that 85% of the Israelis are atheists. That's God's people? 85% are atheists. And with the fact that, that the world has tried to continually destroy the Jewish people, even New Zealand, what is still New Zealand, that little, that little nothing of a country down there in the middle of the water? They're the ones who stand up in the United Nations and condemn Israel. And more than half, everybody's got the big outrage now about you know, moving the capital, moving the embassy. The U.S. is gonna move the embassy to Jerusalem. 
Half the countries of the world refuse to have any embassy in any place in Israel, let alone Jerusalem. I mean, how could they be God's people? Even the Pope condemns the idea of moving Israel's embassy to Jerusalem. How could they do that? How could the Jewish people be God's people? So Moses, he just could not bring himself to say that Israel was God's people. So Moses think, Moses thinks, Moses should go to Pharaoh? No, I don't think so. Yeah, Moses, Moses think, Moses should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? No, that's not a good idea. Now, now, at least one problem has been solved in order to qualify Moses as God's man to rescue Israel, because in the past, for those first 40 years, and he saw the Egyptian beating the Jewish person, and so Mo- Moses had no problem thinking that, yep, I'm able to deliver the Jews. I'm gonna kill this, this, this Egyptian. I'm gonna hide his body. Well, that was 40 years ago when he was 40, and Moses thought he could do the job of delivering Israel. And if this was 40 years earlier and God called Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt, Moses would have said, no problem, Lord. I'm the man for the job. I'm the man. I'm up to the task. But that was when Moses had self-confidence, when Moses thought a lot of himself. And God cannot use a person who has self-confidence because self-confidence is P-R-I-D-E. It's pride. And God hates pride. He says that in Proverbs 6.16. Proverbs 6.16 says, these six things that the Lord hate, seven are an abomination to him, and first on the list, is a proud look. You know what a proud look, literally, proud eyes, high eyes is what it literally means in the Hebrew, high eyes. You know, when the chin gets jutted out, you know, and the eyes are looking down like, you know, and you know who you're talking to. That's a proud look, see? And that's what God resists. So when I see that, I'll resist that in James 4, 6, James 4, 6. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So anyway, at least one problem has been solved in Moses' life. He's not proud, and that's good. But Moses now is arguing with God. He's saying, Lord, I think you got the wrong person for this job. So he's put up this, who am I? argument. Who am I that I should go and deliver them? And God's answer comes in verse 12. Moses, it's not a question of who are you. It's a question of who am I? And he says in verse 12, certainly I will be with thee. And so the presence of God is God's answer to Moses when he says, who am I? And when a person says, like Moses said when he was 40 years old, I can do anything by myself, he's useless. He's useless for God. And God resists that proud. On the other hand, when a person like Moses, now he's 80 years old, and he says, I can do nothing for God, he's also useless for God. But when a person says, I can do nothing, but God can do everything, or God can do anything, and God with me means that I can do anything, then a person is useful for God. And that's what God was trying to bring Moses to see, that with God, Moses could do it. Moses could do it. Now the problem, when Moses heard in verse 10, I'll send thee unto Pharaoh, he thought, oh, this is gonna be a match between Pharaoh versus Moses. I think I know who's gonna win that match. And he says, I can't stand up against Pharaoh. 
I can't go into the ring of Pharaoh versus Moses. I mean, this was all Goliath saw. I mean, Goliath, all he saw was this little shepherd boy, uh, David, who didn't even come out with armor on. He came out against Goliath, and Goliath sees this little shepherd boy, and so Goliath sees, oh, this is a match between Goliath versus the little shepherd boy. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.